Good morning. We are still in Ephesians. Paul is still writing about baseball to that congregation so long ago. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and following. Listen for the word of God. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow and that it builds itself up with, lo- with love as each one does its part. Let us be thankful for God's holy word. My name is Matt Cecil. If we haven't met, I'll be your middle reliever this morning as our starting pitcher has, is on rest for the next few days. No, not quite. Uh, I am the, associ- the new associate pastor here at Wesley. I'm excited to be here. It's been an absolutely wonderful first three weeks for, for me here and for Amy, my lovely wife, who, uh, who's gotten really our house all in order. We're already entirely unpacked, and so all is well, and we are excited to begin ministry here. I suppose I should give uh, just a little bit about me, since we haven't really done that. I was born and raised in Austin. I went out to Nacogdoches to SFA for school, and that was there that I met Amy and we got married. After that, uh, for the last four years, I've been serving two small churches in deep East Texas, in Tenaha and Timpson, which if you take 96 North, that's where it is. It, 96 dead ends into Tenaha. And just in case, uh, in the off chance that anybody in the room is a Tex Ritter fan, Yes, I do know the song, Tinaha, Timpson, Bobo, and Blair. And yes, after the service, we can sing it together. If you'd like, I still have the chorus memorized. I heard it pretty often. I suppose I should also say, during that time, uh, I did go to seminary. Seminary for me was a three-hour trip on I-20 out to Dallas. It was also some other memories, but the drive was was pretty fresh still in my mind. Uh, But we didn't read about driving in Ephesians today. We read about baseball. And so today we need to talk about some of the dirty work, or at least the less glamorous work in baseball. The starting pitcher usually pitches for five or six innings, uh, sometimes seven on a good day. Then they get to rest. They get a few games off. They get several days off. They sit. And they get a lot of rest because they did the lion's share of the work. They did the bulk. And now they need to rest their arm. And that's pretty glamorous work. 
They're the starters. They're the ones that get the game going. They're the ones that do the vast majority. And then at the very end of the game, the closer comes in, the eighth or the ninth inning, to finish out the game, usually an ace, to get just the last few strikeouts. Also glamorous work. Middle relief, though, is the in-between. The sixth inning, the seventh inning maybe, just one inning usually. They're coming in just to bridge the gap. And they don't get the days of rest. They come in the next day to do the exact same thing, to pitch one more inning, and then the game after that, and then the game after that. They aren't the ones to close out the games. They aren't the ace that comes in in the ninth inning to put the game away. They don't have a big name. They don't have a big contract. They're not the ones making the millions of dollars. You can't buy a jersey for a middle reliever. Believe me, I've checked and tried. You can't do it. And middle relief and those middle relief pitchers remind me of another player in particular who played a while back. He played right field, though. He wasn't a pitcher. He played right field, and nobody remembers his name. In fact, I can guarantee nobody in this room knows his name, which is sad because I suspect several of you can name at least most or some of the members of the rest of his team. Uh, let's see if you can. Organizing a baseball team here at the retired actor's home, and I am the manager. Now, you're going to be the manager of the retired actors baseball team? Yes. I would like to join the retired actors baseball team. Oh, you would? And I would like to know some of the guys' names on the team, so if I want to play with them, I know them, and I meet them on the street or in the home here, I can say hello to them. Oh, sure. But you know they give baseball players nowadays very peculiar names. I know, a lot of funny names. You know, like uh, Sticky Fields. Sticky Fields. Uh, Goofy Dan. Booby Barber. Booby Barber. I know all those names. <laughs> 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 well, let's see. Now, we have on our team, we have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find and out, the guy's name. And that, uh -huh. That's what I want to find out, the guy's name. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Now, Abby, you now, want to be the manager of the baseball team? Yes. You know the guy's names? Well, I should. Well, now, you tell me the guy's names on the baseball I team. I say, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You ain't saying nothing to me yet. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> I'm telling him. You ain't said nothing yet. Go ahead and tell me. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. You know the guy's I'll... names on the baseball team? Yes. Well, go ahead. Who's on first? Yes. I mean the guy's name. Who? The guy playing first. Who? The guy playing first base. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? What are you asking me for? I don't know. Now, wait a minute. I'm, not... I'm asking you who's on first. That's his name. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. That's it. <laughs> That's his name. Well, you ain't said nothing. I ain't asking nothing. You did. You know the guy's name on first base? Sure. Well, tell me the guy's name on first base. Who? The guy playing first base. Who is on first, Lou? What are you asking me for? Now, don't get excited. I'm saying who. I'm asking you a simple question. Who's on first? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's it. That's who? <laughs> I'm asking you, what's the guy's name on first oh, base? Oh, no. What's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. <laughs> Don't mix up my I'm not mixing up anybody. Now, what's the guy's name on first base? Now, what is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. He's on third. We're not talking. I think it might be the most famous team in history. But in case you missed it, let's go through some of the, some of the bases. I'll tell you all of them. We didn't watch the whole bit. But they do go through all the bases and all of the team except for the right fielder. We learned who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. 
I'll tell you tomorrow's pitching and today's catching. You might remember all we have is a couple of days on our team. Here's, and in left field is why, and in center field is because. And if I've lost you, I recommend sitting down this afternoon or this evening and watching it. It's, it's fantastic. But here's what you don't remember, and we actually just watched it. We saw the beginning of it. Abbott and Costello are having this conversation because they're both going to be working for the retired actors baseball team. Abbott is going to be the manager. He's just been hired, but he knows the team well. Costello, though, doesn't know the team at all, but he is going to be playing for the team. So why is right field never mentioned in, throughout the entire bit? Because Costello plays right field. He's talking the whole time. We forget the, who the right fielder is, even though it's Costello. We don't have a bit, we don't have a team without him, but he's forgotten. The middle relievers come in and do important work every single day, and yet they're forgotten. We can't go straight from the starter to the closer. As Paul writes about baseball, he lists five different positions that every team needs, that every church needs. And should you call yourself a Christian, you have to play one of the positions. And those five positions are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. I just said you have to play. Paul only lists the five. Every position needs to be filled. The ones with the huge contracts and the big names and the people that are remembered forever and the middle relievers, the ones that nobody knows. The goal then is as a team, as a whole team, we are to serve and build up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith, until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. In short, as a team, we work together to become mature Christians, faithful Christians, but it takes everyone. And not all the positions need the same number of people. There may be three starting pitchers, but eight in the bullpen as relievers. And there might only be two on the roster playing right field. Some positions need more people. Now on this roster that Paul gives, not everybody is a middle reliever. Apostles, for instance, not middle relief. Starting pitchers, big contracts. These are the people in the early church who are founding churches. They're sacrificing everything for the kingdom of God, their lives and everything else, all their gifts, all their money, all their possessions. They're traveling from city to city and all around the Mediterranean. They're going south to Ethiopia, west all the way out to Spain, east to India and Arabia to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people. And for the most part, I'll tell you, these people die for their faith. They die bringing the good news to others. And if they don't die, they're exiled, they're thrown in prison for the rest of their lives. It's tough being an apostle. It's hard work. But we today are proof of their work. We sitting here, reading scripture, 
hearing the good news are proof of their work. The apostles are the 12 who followed Jesus and the people who, like Paul and Timothy, wrote down and wrote letters to people in the early church, the people who we now read about and read their works. They were the highest leaders of the early church, and it's difficult to point out apostles in our world today. It's difficult to say, yeah, that person is playing that position. Perhaps we might say people who start denominations or start big churches like John Wesley or Martin Luther, people who start movements within the church, maybe they get close. They don't quite fit the historic example of apostles, but they give us an idea of how that position is being lived out in the world today. Then Paul goes on to prophets, also not middle relief. Prophets are generally pastors who speak prophetically at an important time, at a crucial or critical time. They speak out against an injustice in their time and the effects of it. Sometimes a prophet will say something like, if this injustice doesn't stop now, there will be consequences down the road. And I'll tell you, that's not exactly a happy message because it means we need to stop something and we need to change course. It's important to note a prophet's job is not to grow the church. A prophet's call is not to grow the people of God. In fact, a prophet's job is often to save the church and often to save it from itself. A great example of this is Jonah. Jonah gets to Nineveh rather reluctantly. And you may recall the story. There's a boat, there's a storm, there's a big fish. And Jonah gets to Nineveh and he walks into the city. He proclaims that they'll be destroyed and because they're so sinful. And then he leaves the city. He sits on a hill and he waits for destruction. Nineveh then repents and they fast and God doesn't destroy the city. Jonah might have wished for God to do that, but people are saved anyway. The prophet's job and the prophet's call is to save people even if they are reluctant to do so. To point out injustice in the community. Today we generally see prophets in the sermons of pastors. Not necessarily every week, but a pastor is called to preach against the injustices of the world. Greed, poverty, corruption, racism, etc. And specifically to call out the church when we participate in those actions, when we participate in bringing on those horrific things. And these can be difficult sermons, but that's the job of the prophet. Paul continues on with pastors and teachers. You've got a few pastors. We're here for you. We're here to help. We're here to lead the church. We're here to serve you. Teachers, particularly teachers in the church, help with Sunday schools and Bible studies. Teachers help with confirmation and the raising of our children and our youth. I'll tell you, in the Methodist movement and here at Wesley, we do a pretty good job with teachers. For a long time, we prided ourselves as a movement as being an educated church. That's who we were. We founded schools. We founded universities. 
That's who the Methodists were, and that tradition continues in a variety of ways to this day. The pastors and teachers, though, are also not the middle relief. I'll tell you, if you've been counting, uh, we've gone through four different positions, and there's only five. If you haven't found yourself in one of those positions yet, you got to play. There's one left, and it requires the most people. It needs the most help. It needs the biggest bullpen, and it's the middle reliever, the evangelist. Now, evangelist doesn't mean Billy Graham. I suppose it can, but that's not what we're talking about today. Evangelist doesn't mean televangelist. It doesn't mean traveling preacher. Simply put, an evangelist is someone who verbally preaches, verbally speaks, and shares the good news of Jesus Christ. Reality, of course, is much more difficult than that simple definition implies. But this is what we need. Unfortunately, as a universal church, we're pretty poor at training up evangelists within the church. We're pretty poor at giving evangelists the tools and resources they need to do their work. And so let me offer four suggestions as we get ready for Wesley Roundup in just two weeks. First, you got to get to know the people you're trying to evangelize. You need to get to know them. This is the community around us the community where you live, the community around the church. Do you know them well? Do you know your neighbors? Growing up in Austin, I lived on a cul-de-sac, which was really wonderful, uh, because we got to know everybody on the cul-de-sac. We had block parties. We knocked on each other's doors. I spent time in everybody's house uh, while I was growing up. And at those block parties, one in particular, we always had, right before Halloween, it was a pumpkin carving. And the kids played games, and we all learned how to carve pumpkins, and it was really wonderful. But in addition to just having those block parties, I could tell you where all of my neighbors worked. I could tell you what sports they liked to watch. I could tell you where they went to church. I can also tell you I've never replicated that experience since moving away from Austin. I generally don't know my neighbors now. I generally don't know where they go to work or if they go to church at all. To be an evangelist, you need to know your community. So you need to know them well, you need to respect them and their work and their interests. Develop a relationship with them. In other sermons, this is what we call loving your neighbor. Second, there needs to be an invitation. Uh, this happens after a relationship has been built and is established. We don't just sit around and hope that people walk into this beautiful church, hoping that they see it on the side of the road and think, well, maybe I'll go there on Sunday. We need to send an invitation, give an invitation. And sometimes this is done from advertising. Sometimes it actually is done from the sign on the corner of the street. But oftentimes it's the responsibility of us as the evangelists. We need to invite people to church. We need to invite them to youth, to the pumpkin patch, to wherever. I'll tell you, I've already invited all of my extended family and Amy's family because it sounds like the pumpkin patch is going to be huge and exciting. We're really looking forward to it. There has to be an invitation from you and an invitation to the church. 
evangelist will also say somewhere in the midst of these two first steps of relationship building and invitation to church, somewhere in these first two steps, you need to mention as an evangelist that you love Jesus and that Jesus loves you. This can be simple and casual, or it can be a conversation about Christ's death and resurrection. If you have that type of time or that type of serious conversation, just remember the goal here isn't about teaching. Remember, there are teachers, there are pastors. This isn't about preaching. It's just about sharing the invitation and sharing why that invitation is ultimately warranted. Jesus loves me, and Jesus loves you. Would you come to church with me at Wesley? Third, after the invitation, is the welcome. This is something that a lot of churches do really well, but it's really noticeable if it doesn't happen at all. You've got to welcome the people that come into, into the church. Y'all welcomed Amy and me with cake and fruit and cheese, uh, first in the, the dining room and then in the parlor after the last service. It was really wonderful. It was very grand. I suspect that doesn't happen with every visitor. That's probably okay. Uh, that might be a little overwhelming for first-time guests. But while the, the real trick about welcoming is not about just the first visit, it's about keeping it up. It's about moving from welcoming into hospitality. That's where sometimes we leave off, sometimes what we forget. When the grandeur leaves, is there a hospitable environment left? We don't simply forget about the visitor because they've come three Sundays in a row. We continue to greet them as friends because, quite frankly, they are friends. And we know they're friends because we developed a relationship with them in the first step. Welcoming and hospitality naturally follow with people that you're friends with, with people that you have a relationship with. The last step for an evangelist and the church as we act as evangelists is adoption. The church adopts the visitor, and in turn, the visitor adopts the church. A dedication is made. Sometimes this looks like membership in the church. Sometimes it means another form of commitment in particularly joyous moments, it looks like a profession of faith or a baptism. These are exciting times in adoption. And when adoption happens, it has to be real, it has to be true, it has to be full inclusion. There must be full inclusion in the family, no holding back the promises that were made when the relationship was formed, no holding back on the promises that came when we were welcoming and inviting into the church, the family that we call church grows when one person is adopted into it. Church, mental relief is difficult and it needs a lot of people. A full bullpen. A professor of mine once wrote, the number of people gifted in evangelism could be enormous. And he said that because it could be a massive amount because it extends far beyond the pastors of the church. It extends into the entire congregation and even beyond that. The number of people gifted in evangelism could be enormous. This, pe this position needs people who play every single day 
and lots of them. That's what it takes to build relationships and to invite and welcome people into the church until adoption. The evangelists are who do this each week and each day. And there's a wonderful opportunity to do this work coming up at the Wesley Roundup. We've got two weeks to do it, to invite people back to church, to invite people who need to hear the good news for the very first time or for the hundredth time. It's time to invite somebody and begin. Evangelists, along with the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, and the teachers, lead us to unity of faith and knowledge of Christ Jesus. As Paul writes at the end of this passage, we grow into Christ who is the head of us, the church. The body, the team, makes itself grow in that it builds up with love as each one does its part. Let's pray. Lord, we are your church. We are your members. We make up your body, Lord. We ask that you guide us and lead us so that we follow your call faithfully and abundantly. We ask that you guide us and lead us so that we can be your evangelists, so that when necessary, we can be your apostles, prophets, teachers, and pastors as well. Lord, we ask your guidance so that we can do the day in and day out work that needs to be done. Lord, we hope in your your love of us and your grace in us 